Hello and welcome back to No Books on a Dead Planet, the podcast where we read climate books so you don't have to. Step away from the climate books, don't be tempted, I swear to god it is not worth it. No, I'm kidding, it's totally worth it and particularly with the book we're discussing today. If you haven't been on the podcast before you might not know that I do these mini-sodes in between our guest episodes where I talk to you about the things that I am currently reading that relate in small or big ways to the climate. This is a kind of more direct book about the climate. Uh, This is Should We All Be Vegans? A Primer for the 21st Century by Molly Watson. Now this is a book that's part of the Big Idea series and I really like their books. They're very short, they have intentionally a lot of images and it's actually also designed so that the typography has a quick recognition text hierarchy. I kid you not. So the way they've laid it out is that if you have only an hour to spare, you can just read the paragraphs that are set in the two largest fonts and you'll still get a basic overview of the subject. And if you have more than an hour at your disposal, you can read the stuff in the smaller fonts and the captions on the pictures and you can get a deeper understanding of it. I think that's such a brilliant way of using typography to adapt around a person's time or capacity to absorb facts. I think it's really clever and I think it champions the ideas and the facts over the reverence to how long a book happens to be. So I think it's, I'd love to see more books like this. I think it's really, really interesting. I tabbed up this book to absolute shit because, and I don't know if this will be out by the time that you're listening to this, but when it is out, I will link it in the show notes. I was being interviewed on national radio about veganism. And as somebody who is uh, not exactly yet a whole vegan, that's quite intimidating, but I guess I did it to myself. I did it to myself. I did. And that's what really hurts um, because I uploaded a video called Don't Do Veganuary on the 1st of January that was all about my concept of, of veganism for the month. For anyone who wasn't able or was scared to try veganuary and the other option was just not doing anything about the way you eat, just carrying on as normal, I suggested 10 different ways to adapt the idea of veganism to cut down in I think quite inventive and creative ways and it gained some traction which is cool the guardian wrote about it and if you want to see what those 10 suggestions are you can go to the top of my instagram i've pinned a post about it Uh, so anyway suffice to say i was a little nervous because while i loved doing my version of veganuary which was points mean prizes veganuary it meant that every time i ate a vegan meal i got a point and if i got over a certain amount of points i got a prize (laughs) I actually ended up eating almost all my meals vegan. So not quite all of my snacks were vegan, but most of them were. And most of my meals were vegan. And had I not given myself that leeway, I wouldn't have done it at all. And I actually came out of that month feeling like maybe I was going to transition from feeling like a vegetarian who tries to avoid dairy when possible to actually identifying as a bad vegan. Now, I actually watched a really amazing video that Catherine Klein sent me. She made a video all about this idea of being a bad vegan over being a failed vegan or somebody who just wasn't vegan. And I think it's really interesting and it's a good example of how if you don't go in all guns blazing, you, you can definitely change people's minds because Catherine is a vegan and I feel like if she had been like, as some people were, oh, this is a betrayal of veganism. This is rude to suggest that people should half 
fast veganism like how dare you um instead she was like oh i actually made a video kind of about this and the idea of identity versus militant perfectionism and to summarize her argument which is much more eloquent than what i'm about to say is that the identity of calling yourself vegan can be more powerful than when it comes to the actual impacts on the way you act rather than being vegetarian and believing in veganism but not acting on it and I think that that's true for me is that in that I am vegan in the way that I don't need persuading like you don't need to come up to me at the bar and like explain to me why I should be vegan. like I've heard all the arguments I understand them I know them I'm one over you don't need to persuade me it's just that on a day-to-day basis it's taking me a long time to transition into that and it's hard to think like do I want to transition fully into it forever that feels daunting but to say hey I'm actually a bad vegan because what matters is what I believe and what I'm trying to execute in my life that that's the direction that I'm going in is that more powerful anyway I think it's a really interesting debate but I learned a lot from this book and I wanted to just tell you a few of the highlights but because there's some things that I knew but I'd forgotten there's some things that I had no idea about there's some things that I had a vague idea about but I really wanted some like actual stats and, and verification and just like just to check is that true yes or no and one of the things that drew my attention immediately in, into the introduction was just this this pointer that there is a myriad of reasons for people being vegan and they fall into three main categories, ethical, ecological and personal health. Now that seems like a very like neutral, like, okay, yeah, obviously kind of statement, but it actually really clicked something in my brain because I feel like when we have discussions about eating and consuming and using and abusing animals, one person will make an ethical argument and somebody else will get them on a personal health thing or we might be making a personal health argument and somebody else gets them on an ecological fact and we're often having three different conversations all of which are necessary and all of which are worthy of discussion but sometimes you can be like hey if you wouldn't kill a dog it's weird that you would kill a pig because there's no actual ethical sentient or intelligent difference between them really and also intelligence is a really weird way to argue whether you should kill something or not and somebody else goes well if I am going to be vegan where am I going to get my b12 from and they're having different arguments do you you see what I mean so I actually think when I'm debating with myself and also when I'm chatting to other people I think it might be really helpful to be like hey that's in this category of arguments and can we talk about that because I think we have to discuss whether something is ethical or not and then from that then make take a look at the personal health thing because if something is slightly less healthy for us and might add one more year to our lives, does that negate taking like hundreds of other innocent lives? I don't, that's that's a, that's a big question, you know? And also if we can answer the question of is veganism bad or good for your personal health, if we can determine that it either doesn't make that much of a difference or it is possible to have a healthy life on a vegan diet, then we're able to have the other conversations. Because if you feel from your moral perspective that your safety and your health is the most important thing, then we have to have that debate first. And then we can decide like where we fall when it comes to ecology. Or if you think, actually, my personal health doesn't matter at all because no health on a dead planet. There's no use in me having an amazing bone density and being able to pull my leg above my head when I'm 70 if there isn't actually a planet for me to stand on. That's also a valid way to look at it. And I think because people come at it from different perspectives, we're having these cross conversations and we're, we're not understanding each other. So anyway, that was really interesting. A fun fact for the history buffs, 
while veganism uh, came into our lexicon quite relatively recently, the idea of veganism as in like not eating animals or eating animal products actually dates back a hell of a long time. Pythagoras of Pythagoras theorem <laughs> fame in ancient Greece he didn't eat animal products. He was the, apparently the first vegetarian. Before the term vegetarian was coined in the 1800s, a meatless diet was known in the West as a Pythagorean diet. What? Didn't know that at all. I didn't know that Immanuel Kant was involved in this. Alexander Pope, da Vinci mentions it. Byron, Mary Shelley, Percy Shelley. The history of it is really, really interesting and something that is is covered in a very, very short amount of pages uh, in this book, but bears, I definitely think, a little bit more scrutiny. I'd like to look into this. Also, unfortunately, it does, it does turn out that it looks like Hitler was a vegetarian. So I'm not saying that being a vegetarian makes you a bloody brilliant person. I actually think it's a very interesting argument to talk about how people can have complete blindsides in some parts of their life and in other ways not and he, he also wasn't a fault he says his food taster claimed that he never ate meat during her tenure whereas his cook before the war said he ate it regularly in any case his interest in vegetarianism seems to have stemmed from the notions of bodily purity that were developed in the late 19th century by vegetarians such as john harvey kellogg who knew anyway I also thought the maths of it was quite interesting. So they talk a lot about how much water and calories are needed to create a certain amount of calories for a human. And it's just, for me, sometimes I think maybe my biggest argument for vegetarianism and veganism is that it just doesn't add up. We can't make the maths math. Um, so overall, a meat eater's diet uses 17 times more land, 14 times more water and 10 times more energy than that of a vegan. Of the 5 billion hectares of agricultural land on the planet, we use almost 70% to graze or grow feed for livestock. Uh, what? Those are, those are completely bonkers numbers, right? That's so interesting. And I kind of feel like a bit of a mug because I spent a lot of my teenage years watching and buying those bloody make poverty history wristbands. Like I watched those marches. I think I went on some of those marches. We talked so much in the news about reducing food poverty globally in the world, which has, in some places, has been really successful. It is, to my knowledge, overall going down. But nobody mentioned to me or to anyone, nobody on the telly said, hey, actually, one of the reasons that we have food shortages is because we're using it all to produce artificially these animals that wouldn't have naturally been born. We're giving them awful lives and we're killing them for a bit of yum. <laughs> what a weird... Like humans, we're weird, aren't we? And I say this as somebody who very recently ate meat in the grand scale of things. Like, let's be real, I became a vegetarian at 30. So I've actually only been eating a vegetarian diet not even a vegan a vegetarian diet for like 10 percent of my life so i can't get on my high horse here we i've consumed a lot of those cows oh this is really interesting about cholesterol i didn't know this as well since vegans do not eat any animal products and cholesterol comes solely from animal products it is no surprise that they have a lower risk of developing diseases connect to higher cholesterol I did not know that. So basically, in the in the small print, it says basically cholesterol. It, our bodies make it naturally. Cholesterol that causes us health problems is from animal products. Like we already ha we don't need any. We shouldn't consume any more than our body already naturally produces. Again, I had no idea. Another good fact to keep in your head that I kind of knew, but it's nice to like be able to quote it more specifically. In 2015, the World Health Organization 
went so far as to categorise processed meat as a carcinogenic, i.e. cancer-causing, along with asbestos and arsenic. Why isn't that in the new... Do you know what I mean? Like, that's that's the World Health Organisation. That's not some, like, rogue Gruella research group. Like, that's the world... <laughs> anyway, I like this book because it also does honestly present some of the problems with veganism and like obviously we're different ways we can solve them too but it's like it's not going to be straightforward and like, everyone can't just start eating vegan tomorrow um so one of them is that like not one of the most practical and most widely used um fertilizers is manure so even if you're eating like vegetarian food a lot of the uh, waste products from the meat industry are used to grow what we eat in a vegan diet that that's something that i hadn't thought of there are some solutions the first is a synthetic fertilizer which could possibly be safe but it's like it's it looks like they're still working on it or it's in trial stages and there's also a second solution of a combination of green manure and compost growing green manure has been found to reduce the loss of nitrogen a key element for most crops by 97 percent compared to fields that are left bare after harvest the main issue with grain manure is that it requires both time and planning. It also lacks the impact of animal manure and cannot be built up and cannot build up poor or overworked soils as quickly and as effectively. So that's interesting. There's definitely a debate around effective organic fertilizers and zero animal husbandry ways of growing food, which I hadn't even thought about, honestly. So that's good to know about. It's also interesting to hear like how much more meat has been consumed in our lifetimes than was consumed before the idea that we just want to keep the diets of our parents or the diets of our grandparents it's not actually when it it doesn't look actually to be true especially from a western perspective so between 1961 and 2010 the consumption of beef sheep and goat's meat more than doubled according to the food and agricultural organization of the united nations pork and poultry consumption increased even more growing by three and nine times respectively the most dramatic shift occurred in japan where a traditional diet of plant-based foods with a bit of seafood moved towards a far more meat-centric diet again when it comes to using resources this was something that i had to bookmark because i was like what the fuck like when we think about like the use of crops to feed animals it's like the amount that how inefficient it is is actually a little bit mind-blowing animals use as much as 90 percent of the food they eat to breathe walk and reproduce only about 10 percent 10% of that food is turned into muscle that can become meat for humans to eat. I'll say it again, the maths isn't mathing. <laughs> and but when we look at like the amount of land mass that might be available to humans to use to make food, reducing what we eat and, and like not actually being beholden to this fictional time where we're eating loads and loads of meat all the time throughout history. If we're not beholden to that and we actually think even if that was true, it does it matter practically? Um, I don't I don't know if it does another cool fact uh, is what's well, not cool 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 in the uh, in the sense of like isn't it cool that we're all learning together but isn't it also freaking terrifying at present approximately 85% of the global soy crop is processed into meal to feed animals so this idea that like vegans are causing deforestation or the amount of soy that we'd all have to consume would just be untenable for the planet as again while maybe not ideal that we replace everything with soy i mainly have oat milk and stuff but even if we did it's not going to it's still going to reduce the amount that we're already using it's just that we don't see that we're using it because it's fed to a pig that we eventually eat 
the author of this book also bothered to sit down and do the maths on how much money it would save us to go vegan like globally when it comes to like health and how many people would are critically ill or die like all of that was really really interesting and definitely maths that i would not sit down and check but i'm gonna believe her here's another one that's just kind of about government action and like how it doesn't make well we're not actually we don't actually have the infrastructure to to support a sensible a sensible way of approaching food in the future so it's worth noting that the current land use in many countries does not align with the nutritional guidelines either there are not enough fruit and vegetables grown and available in stores in britain or the usa for example for everyone to buy and eat five servings a day as recommended so we can't even, if we all turned around tomorrow and ate and tried to eat our five a day, there wouldn't be enough food because we're using all that land for animal feed. It's, <laughs> make it make sense. And I think it's only right to end on a quote from Albert Einstein, who toted the merits of being meat-free, but didn't always follow through with it, despite having been a long-term sympathiser for the cause. He said, although I have been prevented by outward circumstances from observing a strictly vegetarian diet, I have long been adherent to the cause in principle, he wrote in 1930. Besides agreeing with the aim of vegetarianism for aesthetic and moral reasons, it is my view that a vegetarian manner of living, by its purely physical effect on the human temperament, would most beneficially influence the lot of mankind. The lot of mankind, the lot of like the lot that we are given of mankind. He's clever, you know, he's got his problems, but we can't deny that Albert Einstein was a clever person. And for him to say that and but also be like, well, some circumstances do prevent me from doing it perfectly, by the way. I think that's so interesting that he acknowledges that. And I, it's something that I actually feel like less like if if an influencer said well, i guess i have been saying that a little bit but most people who would say that in public might get ripped to sheds by a silly news program or by people on the internet who haven't really thought about the effects like the the practical implications of everybody turning gradually vegan it, it means that you actually have to watch people gradually become vegan and that is painful and like maybe awkward but it is what it is and 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 how about i said it <laughs> you know anyway I found the book really, really interesting, really useful. I would really recommend it if you are time poor. There are some graphic images in it that I would not recommend uh, opening next to a child on the train, as I did, and then promptly closed the book. So I was like, they're going to see that in their nightmares in a few years. So it, it definitely has that kind of documentary aspect to it. Also really interesting, um, understandable, clear demonstrations of what they're talking about and pictures from all over the world i think it's really it's surprisingly thorough for the fact that it's only 135 pages most of which are pictures and big letters so if you've been listening to this podcast for a while but you haven't actually picked up any of the books like i might actually say pick up this one because it does present the arguments and it does address most of the problems with veganism as well and says look like if we're going to do this on mass here are some problems that we still need to solve I hope that was helpful. I would love to hear what you are reading right now. I'm on Instagram at Lena Norms. This podcast and all of the podcasts were made possible by the Gumption Club. Uh, I want to make these all, I want to put them out. I want them to be free. I want them to be fun. And the only way that is possible is if a small percentage of everybody who listens and gets any value from it tips me. So there's a tipping system on Patreon. You pay a dollar per thing that I make. So if you enjoyed this podcast, don't thank me. Thank them. Thank you so much for listening. Happy reading. Thank you.